listening to Foundry Church's weekly podcast, where our singular focus is to help people know, follow, and share Jesus. Our hope is that today's message would help you to encounter the living Christ in a new and transformative way. with me. Lord, we invite your spirit to speak to us now. We calm our hearts and our minds. Lord, what we need most is to encounter you alive in our midst today. So open our eyes to see you, open our hearts that we might know you and transform our lives through the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, good morning, welcome to Foundry again on this special day. Good morning. morning. Should have paused there. Um, We live in a world where there's a lot of disagreement, don't we? About important things, other not so important things, you know, dogs or cats. Who's a dog person? Any dog? Cat person? Raise your hand. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes. No. No. You know, um, lots of other important questions that we disagree on. But we all agree on this. There's a problem in our world. There's hurt, there's brokenness. Something has gone wrong. Friends, this is not new. (laughs) We might have access to everything that's going wrong in the world at at the touch of our, you know, of our fingers in our pockets that we carry it around. We have access to bad news all the time. We're more aware of what's broken in the world, but this is not a new problem. It's a sin problem. And the reality is every, every religion, every worldview all agrees that there is a problem. That's what we have in common. The difference in Christianity is the solution. The Christian faith, as Chinese church leader and pastor, one Chinese church leader and pastor said, is that the Christian faith begins with done instead of do. You see, lots of other world religions and philosophies, it's about what you do to either empty yourself or to become, to rise above the problems of this world. The Christian faith, though, says that there is only one who is capable of doing what needs to be done to address the problem of sin, the problem of brokenness and hurt and pain and all of everything that's gone wrong in the world. And that's what we celebrate today. That's the good news, that Jesus came, that he lived among us, that he died on our behalf, and that he was raised to life again, and that one day he will come back again to make all things new. We long for this. We know it's wrong. We know what's wrong with the world, and and we long for, for something to be done to fix it. And it's not just out there in the world, friends. It's in here 
It's in our own lives and the brokenness in our own lives and the hurt and the pain. And, and while we may do a good job sometimes of covering it up and masking it, the reality is we are all broken people. And the trail that we walk is littered with debris. And I want you to know today that Jesus came for you and for me to address the problems that we face not to immediately fix them on our timeline maybe, but to redeem them. And he grants us the promise of one day when he returns making things right forever. This is Easter. This is what we celebrate. I wanna address this from the perspective of, of the gardens that we find. The, the garden motif is important in Scripture, and when we understand the gardens in Scripture and what they, re, what they represent and what they teach us, it makes all the difference in how we read the rest of Scripture. The very first garden is in the very first chapter in, in Genesis, in the first book of the Bible. The Garden of Eden. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule. You see, God created a garden. He created a place. He created an environment where life would flourish. He created human beings in his own image to care for creation and have the capacity to make moral choices, decisions that would impact the rest of creation. He created us higher than the rest of creation and said, rule over it. This is what we were created for. We were created for relationship. Friends, you are relational in your very being. I've never met anyone who had extremely dysfunctional relationships, broken relationships all over their life and, were, and they were happy. Because we are relational, because God is relational. Even right here, it says, let us make, have you noticed that? Let us make mankind. There's the Trinity, which is that mystery that we can't understand fully, but that God himself in his very character is relational. That he is never in isolation, but, but there's always community. And friends, much of the brokenness that we experience in this life is because of broken relationships with God and with one another, all of them really. And they're a result of this choice that was made in the garden between uh, God and Adam and Eve, the first humans. Genesis 3, 6, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She did what was, was right in her own eyes. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. You know, there was a fear of missing out maybe. There was a desire to be God, but there was an enemy who was whispering in their ears, did God really say, is this really what you must do? Surely you know better and invites them into a decision that changes the rest of history. They were banished. Listen, the garden is an image of life and flourishing. And the world that we live in so often is, is not, does not resemble that, that intended creation that God intended for us to live in. We live in a place of chaos and brokenness and it's because of this decision. And really the Old Testament 
is a story about God not giving up on his creation. We have a God who has not given up on us. When we make a mess of things in our life, he comes after us. But it's also a story of of us as human beings trying to do what we have to do to get back to God and always failing, always coming up short. If you read the Old Testament, you read some difficult things, you read some, some messy things, you read hard things because it is humanity's, it is describing humanity's attempt to do something to make all of this right and we always will come up short in our own power. But thanks be to God that he didn't leave us alone, but he came at just the right time. Jesus came to the earth to live as one of us. He lived a perfect life. He he taught us, he revealed to us what the kingdom of God is like. He confronted the, the uh, the power structures of this world, the systemic evil of this world. He confronted powerful people who used their power to keep others down. He taught us what it looked like to go back to Eden. He showed us. And then in the second garden, he faced the most human emotion and experience that we all know, and that is temptation. Just as Adam and Eve face temptation. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, which Gethsemane is, is, an, oil, it's a, is an olive a, a, a grove, uh, and it means the place of pressing. Because in order to, to extract oil from the olive, you have to press it, but you have to put it under extreme pressure. And they had these huge, when Jesus talks about a millstone in the gospels, he had this stone. It's not a little stone. It is a huge stone that pressed the oil out of the olive. And in that place, Jesus is pressed so much that his, he begins to sweat blood. And in the garden, he faces this, this, this dilemma, he faces this decision of whether he will, as Adam and Eve did, turn to his own privilege, to his own comfort, or whether he will follow through on the mission that God has for him. And in a raw human conversation, he says to the Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Because he is fully human and he, he knows what's before him. He's experiencing the brokenness of this world in that moment, the dark death that we are all possible of. And he has pressed. And he says to the Father, basically, hey, God, uh, you know, if, if there's a plan B, right now would be a good time for you to you know, lay that out for me because I, I'm okay with plan B. The prevailing and growing sentiment in our world is that all roads lead to heaven and my question is if all roads lead to heaven, it sure does seem like Jesus, there's not any other option here. You see, life was destroyed by death and there has to be a death 
for us to regain life. And the only one capable of doing that was the one who had lived a perfect life. The one who was fully God and fully man and so he came to give his life and we see then the next part of the story is the cross. The cross, friends, is the antithesis, the the extreme opposite of the garden of life. In the cross and in this brutal torture and, and this instrument of power that Rome used to execute people, we see the capacity of human beings to be evil, to destroy life. And Jesus goes there, willingly goes there. He goes there and he dies between two criminals. And even on the cross, even on the cross, Jesus is preaching. He's showing us what the kingdom is because there are two men, two criminals next to him and and in many ways they represent us. Because one of them looks at him and says, if you really are who you say you are, then get yourself down off this cross and get us down with you. Sounds familiar like a snake in the garden. If you really are constantly the enemy But the other criminal looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus speaks peace and forgiveness and wholeness over him and says, even today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Still today, anyone. It doesn't matter your past, it doesn't. This criminal represents humanity and God's grace. Jesus preaches, even from the cross, to the crowd, to those who have put him on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He is speaking of this unending and indescribable grace of God to reach down into humanity and to bring us back to life, even when we are in death. And he says it is finished, and he gives up his last breath, And they rush him down off the cross and they bury him in a tomb. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich, um, a wealthy follower of Jesus who had an unused tomb and who said Jesus at no expense was to be buried there. Maybe it was because he knew it was only for three days. I don't know. (laughs) But they rush him down off the cross. They put him in the tomb. And Saturday was silent. Saturday was silent. And silence is uncomfortable. We know what it is to experience brokenness, to cry out to God, and then to feel like God is far away. And that must have been what the apostles felt on Saturday. Their hopes were buried in a tomb. What they thought might bring them life was buried in a dead place. But friends, that dead place 
was in a garden. And they just didn't realize it yet. You see, this is the third garden. It's the garden that, that looks like a dead place. And on Sunday morning when the women go to the tomb, they, they find something that they don't expect to find. They aren't going there hoping that Jesus is alive. You get that, right? I mean, when you read the story, what are they taking to the tomb? They're taking spices. They're taking perfumes. They're taking the things that you take to cover the stench of a dead body. They're going not in hope of a resurrection. They're going to take care of a dead body. And something very, listen, very unexpected happens. God can show up in unexpected ways in your life when you least expect it. And sometimes when you try to manage everything and get the outcome that you want, you're gonna end up always in a dead place. But when God shows up in his grace, he does unexpected things. And the invitation today is just to be open to the unexpected. To be like Thomas. I mean, Thomas says what everybody else is thinking. Did this really happen? This is later, right? Is this really possible? He's open. He's willing to be convinced for his mind to be changed. But I, I think they were all discouraged. They were all feeling defeated. And it just takes an openness, friends, to be open to the, to the possibility of the unexpected. So often we try to manage things in our life and we don't get what we want. Like I read this story recently of this guy in uh, St. Louis or in Kansas City, Missouri. This was a few years ago. Did you hear about this? This guy robbed a bank. He robbed a bank, he walked in, he, he gave the teller a note and said, give me all your money. He got a bag with $3,000 in it. Apparently there wasn't much money at that bank. And he went and sat in the lobby of the bank and just waited there with this bag of money and the police finally showed up and he said, I'm the guy you're looking for. And they arrested him. And they're wondering what in the world is going on. Why didn't he run away? I mean, this, you know, the story sounded normal until you get to sitting in the lobby, right? And he said, I would rather go to jail than go back home to my wife. <laughs> I asked my wife permission to tell this story, by the way. Um, Apparently they had had some squabble over the dryer and he hadn't fixed the dryer and he had just had enough and after 30 years of marriage he said, jail sounds better than home right now. <laughs> this is a true story, okay? And so he waited for his trial, he goes to trial. You know, you can get 40 years in prison for this. That would have been enough. I think he was like, he was about 75 years old. It would have been plenty, you know, taken care of. No, the judge, gives him house arrest. <laughs> Not making this up. Uh, the unexpected, right? We try to manipulate things. Sometimes God has a sense of humor. There's a garden that's supposed to be a dead place they go there to take care of a dead body, but when they get there, it's altogether something different. 
I wonder what you're here for today. I wonder what we're hoping for today in a world where we can't seem to agree on anything. I wonder what God wants to say to us. Here's what I know. A lot of us look for God in dead places. In fact, one of the dead places can be in religion. Because Christianity, the Jesus movement and following Jesus is not a dry, dull religion of just going through the motions. It is, friends, a relationship, an encounter with a living God. And so if we show up on Easter Sunday just for the pomp and the circumstance, just to dress up nice and take pictures, just to commemorate a dead teacher, we miss it, friends. This is a dead place, not this. <laughs> but when we go about it that way, it's a dead place. Uh, I was with Kyle Eidelman, he's a pastor and speaker, and uh, he heard I was from Houston. He told a story uh, that he wrote in his book, a, a, a fan, um, not a fan. His book is not a fan. And he talks about how we're, you know, Christianity is not about being a fan of Jesus, but it's about being a follower of Jesus. There's a difference between being a fan and being a follower. And he said he had this encounter with a guy in Houston once. And it was your stereotypical, you know, the big guy with the big belt buckle walks up, but he saw tears coming down his eyes. And the guy began to describe his daughter's spiritual journey and he said, you know, we raised her in the church and she knew everything. She knew, she knew, you know, how to dress, how to look, how to act, how to talk, how to do all the things. She knew her Bible lessons, but when she went off to college, she left her faith. She walked away. You know, and he said, I've heard, I'd heard this story many times before, but then the story took a twist because he said, you know, I realized what we did. Instead of wondering where was God and what he was supposed to do, the man said, I realized what we did wrong. You see, we raised our daughter in the, in the church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Friends, it's possible, it's possible to walk your whole life being a part of the church and never really open your heart to an encounter with the living Christ. It's not about going through the motions. It's about a relationship. It's about an encounter, not with a dead guy, but with, a living, with the living creator of the universe who is present with us today, friends, in this space. He is alive with us. This is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. There are three gardens and there are two tombs that I, I see repeatedly. The first is that religious tomb. The, the second is what? his daughter turned to when she found that religion empty and hollow. It's a worldly tomb. All the desires of this world, pursuing the things of this world, a self-centered life, hoping that that will bring hope and peace and joy. And friends, this is a dead place. It's a dead, empty tomb. 
that Jesus invites us out of. That's what our next series that you got the little flyer about. That's seed paper, by the way. If you scan it, you can find a way to kind of commemorate this day with your family. You bury this paper. Follow the instructions there, and it'll guide you through it. But we want to invite you to more than just Easter Sunday. We want to invite you to really look at the ways that we are held down in the dead places of life and how if Jesus walked out of the grave, that 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 means that we can walk out of those things as well into new life. You see, God created us in a garden and he wants us to know life, but we live in this broken place and thanks be to God, he came to overcome. The cross is not the end of the story, but the tomb was empty because Jesus was raised to life and he wants to raise you to life today. The question is, will you turn to him? Will you take him your doubts? Will you say, did this, just be honest, it's okay to be honest. Say, God, could this really be possible? Really a dead guy coming back to life? And I don't know how he'll meet you, but I believe he will because the scripture promises that when we seek him, we will find him. And that he will come to you and he will make himself known to you and that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so will you open your heart to the living Christ, the one who is alive in our midst, the one who brings us out of dead places? Will you leave those behind and will you walk into life? It might be a slow process. Today might be the first step. The lights might not go on right away, but if you open yourself to Christ and walk with him and engage and bring your brokenness and your hurt and your sin to him, he will begin the process of redeeming all of those things and making you new because you were not made to live in the state of brokenness that we know in this world. Will you bow your heads with me? What do you seek today? What are you looking for today? Do you want to encounter Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life? Open your heart to him. He invites you to come. Even when we've looked in all the wrong places to fill our hearts, with the things of this world or with dry religious activity that makes us feel better, the whole while he has been looking for you. No matter where you've been, what you've done, we've all made a mess of things, but he comes to us to make us whole again. And so leave that dead place behind today. Take a small step of faith and just invite him to show himself to you. Lord, come, meet us. I pray for all of those in this room, Lord, who have experienced their share of brokenness, who've been hurt, who are walking through wilderness. Lord, I pray that today would be a reminder 
of your power over the dead things of this world. And I pray, God, that you would bring us to life, to you and your reality that is with us each and every day. For Christ is risen and Christ will come again. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We are so grateful that you joined us today and invite you to visit us online at foundrychurch.org for more information on how you can worship, serve, and get connected with us.